Sunday, September 9th, I'll be leading a bike and beer ride that goes to every brewery in Everett. That's the two northern ones, At Large and Scuttlebutt, and the three South Everett breweries, Middleton, Crucible, and Lazy Boy. This week, I'm joined by Jeff Middleton, the owner, founder, and name giver for Middleton Brewery. And we talk a little about what it takes to open a brewery. I'm the cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. Hi, I'm Jeff Middleton, the owner and brewer of Middleton Brewing, and kind of jack of all trades. Um, the exciting thing about owning a small brewery is you get to do a lot of different stuff. So um, a lot of the paperwork along with management stuff is all all on me, which is kind of exciting and a little uh, daunting at times. So how about you build a picture of the brewery? Let's start with how big your brew house is. So we are a very small brew house, uh, two barrels. So we brew 62 gallons at a time, which uh, in comparison, the guys across the street at Lazy Boy, he's a 14 barrel brew house. Um, the guys over at Crucible down the road as well, they're a seven barrel. So in comparison, we are a very small brewery, which lends us to the business model of selling as much beer in the pub as possible. So we tend to brew more elaborate beers, which cost a little bit more money. So focusing on selling all the beer out of the brewery as opposed to wholesaling kegs to bars, um, just kind of what we focus on. And by focus on, you mean you don't sell any to bars or? 99% of our beer stays okay. in-house, uh, special events, festivals. It's just a different business model. Um, yeah. Not focusing on the distribution as aspect of it. And quite honestly, uh, we get to brew a little bit more unique beers because we're not trying to sell it to a mass market. Yeah. Uh, people kind of know what they're getting into when they come to us. They know they're getting some kind of wacky beers. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of where we're we're focused on. So the, this is the name Middleton. That's you, you named after yourself. Yeah, uh, not very original <laughs> on the naming. Um, just never was really a, a thought. Um, funny story though, we got all of our licenses approved, federal. It's kind of a painstaking process. And then towards the very end, we signed up for Twitter of all places and realized there was another Middleton Brewing in Texas. So it was like all oh, crud. Uh, so I reached out to them, made sure everything was cool with them, trademark-wise. They're super regional, just, yeah, Texas. We weren't planning on leaving the state at all, so worked out well. But there is another Middleton Brewing in Texas, which is fun. We get random phone calls um, every once in a while about live music and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, nope, that's, <laughs> that's the other in Middleton Texas. Brewing. <laughs> uh, the last couple of springs, I've gone down there and visited them. It's great, great space, fun fun to go uh, meet other Middletons that are across the U.S. I imagine that Middleton is probably named after like the town of Middleton in Texas <laughs> or is another guy? No, it's another another last name, Middleton. Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess for some reason I imagine Texas would have a Middleton. Idaho. There's a Middleton, Idaho. And another brewery there probably any day now. Oh, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully we'll take over the world. Yeah. One, one Middleton at a time. Describe what your brewery looks like because it's, it's a pretty unique looking space. So, um, my background was as a, as a home brewer, so I didn't really have that commercial brewing background. So when we were looking at spaces, um, it was more of a, oh, that would be a really cool space to have a brewery in, as opposed to 
logistical side of it, <laughs> which looking back on now, this space was not, not a good choice. Um, so yeah, we've got our downstairs seating area. Um, before we expanded last year, we were at about 400 square feet of just seating area. So we're looking at four, four top tables and eight person bar, so very small. And then upstairs, we've got all of our brew house. Um, so if you think about that for a second, all the beer has to come from upstairs to downstairs somehow. The first stout that we brewed. I didn't see an it, elevator in yeah, there. So. No. <laughs> we named it after the steps. So it used to be 14 steps to get every beer downstairs to put on tap. <laughs> used to be very cozy. Uh, end of August last year for our anniversary, we opened up our uh, additional seating area, which is another 900 square feet. So really big open space. Um, we can actually host larger groups now. And yeah, just wintertime, we have that expanded capacity, which has really been good for us. Where is the brewery? I mean, where, where are we right now? We're outside in the, in the beer garden. I'm, I'm pointing the things with my hands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so we've got a small 300-square-foot uh, beer garden, kind of in the back side of a building, so it's pretty chill back here. Um, off of Everett Mall Way a little bit, so we're not having cars zoom by us for the most part, so it's kind of relaxing back here. Not... Uh, not, not where all the business fronts are, so we have some issues with people finding us, but I like to say it's worth it. You That's definitely the, uh, the first thing I noticed about the brewery is that in order to get to it, you've got to watch Google Maps, and it will take you to the, the, the sort of strip mall, that, you know, the, the, you know, the commercial park that we're in here, and then you've got to figure out that Middleton's actually behind the whole thing. And so you come back around, and you're driving basically through the alleyway, and then then all of a sudden there's this beer garden in the middle of nowhere and you're like, wow, what the heck? And then there you go. Tell me about the most important member of the brewery, that little guy is running around. Oh man, so we've got a new little friend. Um, of course, our brewery logo features Kona, which is my uh, border collie. So she is probably the most uh, welcoming aspect of the brewery. Uh, typically, if you pull in the brewery, she's coming towards your car to greet you, um, which usually means she's got a tennis ball that she drops at your feet she wants you to throw for her. So she, she loves these summer days because she'll have all kinds of people to throw the ball for her. And then we just got a little corgi. So he is in between napping and running around and tormenting whatever he can torment. So he's been a, a fun addition to the, to the brewery. Gotta watch out for those puppy teeth. They're, they're legit. Um, tell me about that little doghouse you have in there, Kona's doghouse. It's kind of a no-brainer when we incorporated her into the logo. Um, I, man, I gotta say, I probably saw it on Pinterest or something originally. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, under the stairs. You kind of don't have much storage once you get past the, the bottom part of the stairs. So yeah, she got her own little house, uh, got her own little door, little window in there, and that's kind of where she goes when she's done with people for the day. Mm -hmm. She gets to kind of go into her house and, and be left alone. So yeah. That is just the cutest little thing. Definitely dog friendly. Tell me about the beers that you brew here. You've already mentioned that you make more like kind of high-end, cooler beers. So coming from a homebrew background, um, I was always intrigued as a beer drinker, um, just off the wall stuff. 
even if it was something that sounded terrible in theory, I'm, like, I'm gonna sure as heck gonna go try that. Good, bad, or ugly, I was just very much interested in non-traditional beers. So when I started brewing in college, very first beer that I brewed was uh, traditional amber. I'm like, well, this is boring. So of course I had to throw some blueberries in there and kind of that's where my brewing background gravitated towards. So I'm very much into the non-traditional beers and that's kind of what I brew. And yeah, we got to say probably the most traditional beer that we brew is our fresh hop beer um, at the end of every September. And that's still a little untraditional because we, uh, my mom's a master gardener, so she grows all of our fresh hops for us out in uh, Sultan. We, I think we got about 50 pounds of Cascade fresh hops last year, which is always fun to go out, pick hops with the family, and then brew a beer with it. Tell me some more of the other beers you have on tap right now. Oh man, so our standard, we have six standard taps. Um, our breakfast first, which is our stout brewed with cookie crisp cereal. We've got a busted nut porter, which is a nut porter uh, brewed with walnut, almond, and coconut, and a little bit of coffee. And then our coconut brown ale, our tangerine IPA, our jalapeno pale, and our honey blonde ale. Those are the six beers we keep year-round. And then we rotate anywhere from five to six beers seasonally. Um, probably one of my favorite seasonals that we do every year is our strawberry wheat. It's just a nice American wheat, um, 72 pounds of fresh strawberries. So it's really got that summertime, fresh, vibrant strawberry flavor. And then this year we did something a little different. Um, we did what's called our Serial Killer Series. So every month we brewed a different style of beer uh, with a different type of breakfast cereal, um, which has been just a really fun series. Kind of gets me, got me brewing uh, styles that I don't traditionally brew and uh, using ingredients that are very interesting. What was the weirdest combo? Oh man, uh, the weirdest combo. I, the most surprising to me, I'm not a huge sour fan, um, so kind of gozas are at the edge of my palate. Uh, we brewed a goza with frankenberry, which is a very difficult cereal to find. <laughs> really oh, yeah. seasonal. Uh, so it's like a strawberry goza with the frankenberry cereal, and it was really good. I, Took hey, a little while for me to grow on, but yeah, it's yeah. one of my favorites. What did you, um, where'd you end up finding the Frankenberry? Oh, that was a fun endeavor. So that was one we committed to, I committed to before I knew the difficulties of finding it. So yeah, we scoured the internet. Um, not too hard to find per se, but hard to find that wasn't expired. Oh yeah. So, yeah, it was a lot of... A lot of searching eBay for sure. So did they actually? So you found a, a some guy on eBay that just hoarded a bunch yeah, of boxes. Yeah, a bunch of different. Uh, usually it was only people had like two boxes, so we'd have to multiple. Yeah, we spent <laughs> spent a good chuck and change on that's so funny cereal. Uh, oh my gosh! So that's also a fun thing about having a smaller brew pub where you can do those kind of weird, quirky things. You don't have to can it and try to sell it to mass market. You can do weird stuff in house and. People tend to tend to dig it for sure. One of the things that I notice you do here that I don't see many of other many other places is you actually have beer blends up on the menu. Like you'll have you know two or three or like two or three different blends that are just there that you can order, and the bartenders will mix them up for you. 
We don't actually have those on the menu. Oh, uh, we, maybe that was a while ago? Maybe not. We don't traditionally do that. We do have some creative uh, beer tenders for sure. Oh, okay. So that we, must have been what happened. I'm, I probably came in, asked for what I should try, and the bartender went at it. Uh, I, wish I, I wish I remembered the bartender's names. Marshall loves to, yeah, mix, mix and match. Um, one of my favorites was we had a pineapple version of our blonde and a blend of that and our coconut brown ale was a nice pina colada. Ah, okay. Yeah, those are typically things that, uh, yeah, if you ask for something unique, they'll make you a blend. But those are not sanctioned by you. Those are the bartenders. <laughs> oh, I, I know I can't say anything about that because I'm not, I'm not a traditional style brewer to begin with, so I I'm not going to, yeah. Let them get away with it. Yeah. That's okay. All right. <laughs> I didn't realize I'd be getting anyone in trouble. Oh, no, no, it's all. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the other logistical issues of having, maybe not logistical issues, but like, you know, just problems with having a really small brewery? Like, I mean, you know, two barrel, you know, two barrel, you know, brew house. Um, you talked about having to haul everything up and down the stairs and that kind of sucks. I mean, I'm I'm looking at it and thinking like, yeah, that really is just a um, an extra large home brewing setup and not really a full scale brewery. So, are you just brewing all the time to keep things in stock? So yeah, our beers are typically um, we'll run through a batch in under 30 days. So just being really um, focused on what we have in stock and having a very tight brew schedule, knowing the timelines for sure. Um, Shuffling cold storage as well. We've got small cold storage space upstairs as well. Um, but yeah, once kegs get stacked up, yeah, just trying to manage that and yeah, just a lot of a lot of little things that don't want to say that other bigger breweries don't have to worry about, but it's just on a tighter timeline. I would I think. I noticed everything was since your brewery is upstairs. Did you just, and like this isn't really like a big industrial space, did you have to haul everything up there by hand, just team lift that all? Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Um, so when we got our new fermenters last spring, yeah, we had to literally take the guardrail off the steps, and three of us hold that thing up there. It was quite the endeavor. <laughs> oh, my and gosh. It's a... The space wasn't originally meant to be two stories, so it's only a 14-foot ceiling. So the upstairs is, yeah, I want to say maybe seven-foot ceiling. I'm a good six foot, so I don't really notice the short ceiling until I get somebody that's, yeah, above six foot that's kinking their neck. You're like, oh, yeah, this is a, a short short ceiling. <laughs> and then having all that equipment up there, too, is the heat just in the summertime is pretty pretty fun brewing in yeah 100 degree temps so. <laughs> you guys actually have a pretty good food menu here as well which is not something you typically see like in, in any brewery much less one of your scale how did that come about so that was something we'd always by we i had always wanted to do i wanted to have just a nice small neighborhood brew pub um so yeah we originally wanted to open with food um logistically it's just with all the equipment, all the permits and stuff. So we had to put that off. Um, so it only took about five months uh, since our opening to, to implement all the food stuff. Uh, sort of with a just tiny menu, three things on the menu, beer cheese soup, barbecue chicken pizza, and a turkey bacon avocado panini. 
uh, yeah, just super small, trying to do really consistent food on a small scale. And then from there, we've kind of grown the menu. Now I've got a full-time cook that gets to do some, some fun stuff that he wants to try out. So yeah, just kind of evolved. Always part of the brew pub business model, but took us a little while to, to get to where we wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. And then again, having a smaller space for the kitchen, we have to be really um, creative with what equipment we can use. We don't have a fryer. We don't have a big range hood or anything like that. So we're pretty limited on the equipment that we're able to have in that small space. Mm. Yeah, it's almost as if you took a food truck, stacked it on top of another one, then tried to serve beer and food out of it and make all the food there. Well, that was kind of... When we first opened, um, it had only been about a year since Seattle had allowed food trucks in the city. So it was a market that just didn't exist. If there were food trucks, they were in Seattle, and they didn't really want to come down to Snohomish County without some guaranteed sales. So it was kind of a no-brainer for us because we couldn't get food trucks at the time. Thankfully, it's evolved quite a bit, and there's a great food truck uh, following and market out here now in Snohomish County, but it just wasn't that way mm. five years ago. Wow. How long has this brewery been around? So uh, our actual fifth anniversary was the 24th of August. Um, we actually pushed the party back to the 15th of September, so it would coincide with Everett Beer Week. Ah, okay. So and that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, th that's this week. That's right now. That is or next week. Friday. Starting Friday is the kickoff to Everett Beer Week with the Upper Left Brewfest, which is downtown Everett. Great, great brewfest. Everett, downtown Everett's had quite the resurgence lately. Um, got some good beer down there. Uh, Toggles, Bottle Shops, a newer one. Um, independent beer bar is great as well. And then you've got At Large, which is just kind of at the, the edge of town. Well, it's nice to see some, some good craft beer downtown Everett. Let's talk about the Everett beer scene a little bit more. So how do you see your place in all that? Man, so I actually got my introduction to craft beer because of an Everett brewery. So uh, back in college, came home for, must have been Christmas break, uh, stopped at the local grocery store, saw that there was a beer brewed in Everett. I'm like, wow, I didn't know there was a brewery in Everett. Sure enough, it was Scuttlebutt. Fell in love with the Scuttlebutt Amber, and that was kind of my introduction to, to craft beer. Um, we'd go to their brew pub, went back on the dock on the waterfront, it was just really cool to drink local beer, and that was something that I just really stuck with me. So when we were looking for spaces to start our brewery, was kind of where I gravitated towards. I wanted to be part of the Everett beer scene. We've got that great heritage with, with Scuttlebutt, and then also Lazy Boy as well. So it's been, been a fun journey. So we're, if you don't know where we're at, we're a couple blocks down the street from Lazy Boy. Um, so there was two of us in the area, and then Crucible opened, I want to say, two or three years ago. So now we've kind of got this trifecta of breweries within a couple blocks um, in South Everett, which is really awesome because we get to do fun um, events. So every quarter we do a pub crawl. There's some type of theme. Was it July we did the dog days, so we had uh, dog bandanas. Each of us had a different dog theme. So it's fun to have... Um, collaborations like that and for the most part craft beer community is a tight-knit community mm -hmm. there's no doubt in my mind that if I went across the street over to Lazy Boy and needed 100 pounds of grain 
they'd be able to hook me up because it's not hasn't got to the point where it's competitive as far as craft against craft. It's more of craft beer market, the little guys still battling the big guys, mm -hmm. Budweiser, Miller, Coors. Right. That's definitely something I want to come back, I'll circle back around to as well for that. Um, but yeah, it's kind of nice that you have that little uh, three brewery triangle down here, which I don't think quite, it's, it's like it's almost enough to make you guys a destination, right? It's almost enough to come up from you know, wherever you are to make it out here. Um, I, I, it, I, it's kind of my opinion, you sort of need five. Five or four, four or five breweries will do it. And then you got Scuttlebutt and At Large, which are also in Everett, but they're just a little too far away to kind of make that, a, a, you know, the walking journey, you'll, right? You'll see when you're riding your bike, how. Yeah. <laughs> the proximity for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm excited to do that. So yeah, one of the things we're talking about for Everett Beer Week is this upcoming bike and beer ride, which is going to happen this Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, September 9th. Yeah. Describe a little bit about what that's going to look like. So this was kind of something we had talked about with the South Everett breweries um, and just couldn't pin down an actual date for it. And then um, Everett Beer Week came up I'm like, well, let's put this in Everett Beer Week. So I had seen uh, your blog a couple times, like, well, who would be a good uh, candidate to actually lead this crazy endeavor? So that's kind of how I got a hold of you. And yeah, so the idea is all the brewers together from all the different breweries and do a bike tour to all five of the different ever breweries. So we're going to start at At Large um, right after the Seahawks game, so about 4.30 start at large we'll head across the street over to scuttlebutt their tap room which is just a little offshoot of their production facility and then from there we're going to head up to south everett uh, hit the inner urban trail uh, which will take us most of the way which brings us to south everett where we'll hit crucible lazy boy and middleton so that's going to be a nice little route so that's five breweries in about as many hours yeah which is so it's going to be pretty dense it'll be a good ride so I'm excited to get that all plotted out and get that. Uh, I'll be yeah, I'll be out there leading the ride. I got my flag, got my bike. I'll be in the rear with a trailer with two dogs in it. Perfect. Because you're talking about running a like an extremely small brewery, and like you know how you're running a sort of like tap room only kind of model, um, which I think makes a lot of sense. Are you, do you have any plans to expand or get, you know, big, get bigger fermenters or get a bigger brew house? So we've been, even though we brew really uh, non-traditional beers, we haven't really tried to grow out of our means. Yeah. Um, so being really conservative fiscally. Um, content where you are? Yeah. So we, last year was our, our big growth. So we added... Uh, our, our two-barrel brew house, added some new fermenters, um, added this, expanded space to our tap room. So that was, for us, that was a pretty big endeavor. And that had taken, yeah, four years of just knowing where our growth was, what we could sustain, and then planning for lean times, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of craft breweries still opening up. Um, and eventually, there's going to be some type of peak where... It's going to be a little bit harder to sustain that growth. So just staying within our means and not growing too big too soon. Mm -hmm. And again, focusing on that brew pub model where we're having local community support and staying, keeping the beers in-house 
with the best profit margins possible is definitely yeah. where we're focused on. And it, so that seems to be suiting you nicely. So, I mean, I guess my another question I have is like, you know, if, if, this is a this is a question for other brewers looking to maybe follow in your footsteps and do what you're doing. Which I mean, which I, which kind of the oversized homebrew model is something that I think is like pretty cool. Like in terms of the industry, you know, that's sort of the slot that is going to be open for new people to enter, right? You know, if the industry is really big, you're not going to get any more scuttlebutts. You're not going to get any more Fremont breweries. That's not really going to happen. What you're going to, what I foresee is people opening breweries of this scale that are on every corner and we all can have our, you know, all our, we all can have our Middletons. Would you encourage other people to follow in that path? I've talked to a few people about this. Um, so the market is way more competitive now. So I don't think I could have done the same thing I did now that I did five years ago. Mm. Uh, and that is being so raw. Um, when we first opened the first year we were very inconsistent in our beers um just didn't have <laughs> as much equipment as we needed so we did mm -hmm. this on a tiny budget so it was very difficult to to yeah to get that consistency with our beer and for the most part the market was forgiving at that point i think now if, if i were to do that same thing you might not survive having that year to kind of figure it out. Um, so yeah, definitely being on your game before you open is something that I would stress. That means as a home brewer, brewing beer constantly, mm -hmm. knowing your recipes, brewing those over and over again, just knowing the strength of your of your beer and being able to reproduce that consistently is is huge because you're not going to get. You might not get a second chance. If somebody comes in the first time, have off flavors in your beer, you might never see that person again. There are breweries that I've been to that have opened, you know, since I've been a Cicerone, since I've been writing a blog. If they open and I go and their beer is bad, I, I, you know, I almost always assume when I go into a brand new brewery that their beer is going to not be the greatest because it's always like somebody who, you know, was a home brew and was a home brewer, bought a whole bunch of new equipment, got really excited about it. And then you're not allowed to start brewing on it until you have all your permits. And so you got to rush a bunch of beers out. And they never quite are what, you know, even what that person could have brewed on their homebrew system would have been so much better than what they're going to pump out their first couple of months. So I always say, okay, I'll be back in three months or I'll be back in six months and I'll do it again. And if it, if it's still not good in a year, then like, then it's probably off my roster, but that doesn't happen so, so much. And I, that's only ever happened for one or two breweries for me ever. So you wouldn't really encourage anybody to try what you're doing. <laughs> I, I wouldn't encourage them to do it the way I did. <laughs> okay. How would you How would you do it differently? Would you? So you're saying, like you already said, like brew better <laughs> beer, but you know who wants? <laughs> when I started, uh, no investors, insanely small budget. Um, so we kind of had to do things a certain way. Um, then once things got rolling, it could add extra equipment and get actual brew house to where it was sustainable to brew consistent beer. Um, so yeah, just, yeah, I don't want to say investors cause that's Not probably one of my yeah. biggest cautionary tales with yeah, Elysian. Go on. <laughs> it's just a sad story to build a brewery, mm -hmm. uh, Dick Cantwell 
built and then to have that sold from underneath them was just, to me, that's absolutely devastating. Mm-hmm. I could never imagine that situation. So I, yeah, I would encourage starting small um, with proper equipment. So if you have to wait an extra year for your own personal funding or whatever that entails, go about it that way. Small brew system. You don't need to have a seven barrel brew house when you start. Mm-hmm. Um, focusing on selling beer out of your tap room. Um, and yeah, just brewing your recipes until you can brew them in your sleep. Mm-hmm. Having those solid base recipes. So that, that kind of sounds like a good tale, though, because it sounds almost like, you know, your brewery isn't like, you're not like indebted to anybody or anything right now. No. Um, yeah, you're running, you're running growth, you're playing the long game, going, you know, the, doing a slow burn, the low and slow kind of tactic, which is just fine. I think it suits plenty of people just fine. There's other people like who go all in, get investors, get tons of debt, over leverage themselves and are now enslaved by their cool brewery job. And then at that point, it stops becoming, stops being so cool. To other other people out there who would be following your footsteps, is it still cool? I, anytime I get to walk to the store and brew beer, it's, to me, that's still very cool. Mm-hmm. To have people that come to my brewery to drink my beer, to me, it's just, I'm a pretty humble guy, so to have that, it's like really inspiring to me that people seek out mm-hmm. the beers that I've created. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool. However, if you're planning on starting a brewery and you don't have the passion for it, if you want to try to make a quick buck in the market, it's, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Um, and the first three years we were open, I was averaging 80-hour weeks. Typical, I, I would be here for 100 hours. The grind, like, you have to earn it yeah. if you want it. Now I'm to a place where... Um, don't have to pour beer in the tap room. Don't have to work in the kitchen. Just just get to brew beer and do all the, the management stuff, which mm-hmm. is a good place. But you got to pay your dues. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that that basic passion and drive to make it work, it's it's not going to be fun. You made it sound earlier like this is basically a one man show, right? Is there anyone other than your full time cook and your you know, your bar staff? Is there anyone else running this operation? Any other brewers either? Yeah, I am the the only brewer. The only yeah. brewer and basically the owner, founder, manager, the guy. Yep. Dog so Wrangler. And Dog Wrangler. How many um and so how many employees are there other than, you know, including the cook and the bar staff? Yes, yeah, so we've got four total. Uh the cook is full time and then three part time uh beer tenders. I was definitely wondering. It almost sounds like uh like you know, when you when I came here today, you were all by yourself hanging out. I was like, gosh, he, this is such a lonely, uh lonely setup. Oh, I am a full on introvert. So yeah. my Monday through Thursday before uh we open, it's just bliss. Me and the dogs brewing beer. So <laughs> to get me on a podcast talking is uh definitely uh not an easy feat. So <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh I uh yeah, had to do that. <laughs> Thankfully, I could trick you in here because yeah, you needed you my needed my help for the oh, route. No worries. <laughs> um, we started for a second talking about Elysian and the buyout and Dick Cantwell. How about we talk a little bit more about that? So that's a that's a story that um, that makes me sad as well, and it's sort of my official stance that I don't drink any like you know fake craft. I try not to. I you know I, I've been tricked. I've been bamboozled before. <laughs> Who did I just drink? I just drank Devil's Backbone for the first time. 
Um, and they're like East Coast, like early buyout, never heard of them. Went over there to like on a trip and found out Devil's Backbone was, you know, in the Devil's Back Pocket. <laughs> nice, nice. That was pretty good. Uh, just came up with that. Oh, man. <laughs> so it used to be kind of a telltale sign when you started to see um, these non-craft imposters, well, they got bought out. You start seeing them in uh, a bunch of different grocery stores. You're like, all right, why am I all of a sudden seeing a uh, 10-barrel at every Safeway in the area? That kind of used to be a little bit of a, a red flag. Uh, now, thankfully, we've got um, our independent craft beer uh, logo, which seems to be helping um, quite a bit. Like I said, we sell all of our beer out of the brewery, so we don't... Uh, can or bottle or anything sell outside the brewery, but it's nice to have that independent logo that people can actually see and notice. And uh, it, I, I don't judge. If you want to drink non-craft beers, that's fine. As long as you know you're not being tricked into thinking you're drinking a local craft beer and it's been bought out by Anheuser-Busch. So just having that uh, information is, is really all that I care about. I went to a bar in Belgium. I was actually in Brussels, and I had just, uh, I was, you know, visiting Germany, and so I took a train just to pop over to Brussels for a day, and uh, there was, you know, a bunch of craft beer bars, and, like, obviously, like, Belgian beer is just amazing, and these breweries all take it really seriously, and there's, like, a, there's a craft, like, there's a, a bottle shop on every corner, and there's tons of just bars you can go just drink nothing but craft beer. And I went to this one, it was a normal bar, it wasn't a beer bar, but it was a normal bar, and sat down with the menu. At this point, I'd had plenty to drink, and I was really just waiting for my train to get home. Um, but I looked down, and it had, like, it had 13 or 14 different beers that you know, maybe half of which I recognized, but a bunch of them I knew because I'd had them in America, and so far I hadn't really noticed that many American beers anywhere in, uh, you know, in, anywhere in Europe. But this this bar had six of them, and I was like, oh, that's really weird. And then I noticed a few, like, really random brands that I didn't really expect to be there, and then there was a few that I definitely had not heard of. And I started to get suspicious, and I looked at them, I looked, started looking them up, and all 14 of these vastly different beers were owned by AB InBev. Course, and I was course. like, oh, this brewery, this, this bar is completely in their pocket. Like, I can't even believe that this happened. And I'm already three beers. I've already had three beers here. And, like, I'm just giving all my money straight to ABM. This is horrible. And uh, so I get tricked all the time. And it always makes me so goddamn mad. But uh, anyway. Um, but, yeah, so what else, what else can we do to, like, combat that? Like, what's our, what's our plan? Oh, man. Uh, are you in the Brewer's Guild, by the way? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So my, again, it's kind of a tricky situation. Um, so with Allegiant, Allegiant specifically, they've kept all, for the most part, all their staff that wanted to stay there. So it's still Seattle employees um, brewing the same recipes. But the difference is, since it's owned by a big company, they can undercut the market. So they can sell a keg of Allegiant beer for 10 bucks less than we could sell a similar beer. So what they're trying to do is, yeah, undercut the market, kill craft beer, and then they own the market. So that, yeah, the, with that basic model in mind, I, I just it's not something I can buy. I mean, yeah, one of my favorite beers of all time is Elysian Split Shot. 
which sad because I, every time I see it in the grocery store, I'm like, tears. Don't can't do drink it. it. Can't, can't drink do it. it. Can't do it. I find myself being okay drinking like Bud Light and Bud Heavy. You know, I think that those, I, as much as I sort of just want to boycott the entire company, I find that like, well, I kind of like Bud Light and I don't want to like that. If, if that's the niche, if that's the beer they're going to brew and no craft brewer I know is going to brew a, just a cheap crappy beer that I want to drink to get drunk sometimes. Like I, well, I, I guess I'll have, just have to support that. You Although gotta, you got to drink so many buds to get drunk. Though. That's going to be, that gonna is, be really you know, hydrated. That's, that's true. Actually, it's not really my drinking. It's not my drink to get drunk beer. It's my sober up beer. There you go. That's <laughs> so again, comes back to just the consumer being educated and knowing where you're spending your money. Yeah. If that's, you want to go down to Applebee's and spend money at Applebee's, you know what that's all about. If you want to go down the street and spend your money at a Montpaw restaurant, just, Having that, that knowledge is really my main concern. Teach their own, man. Uh, I've, yeah, I've drank some pretty disgusting non-craft beers. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to judge. I um, Although I, I th this, is my, this might be more my personal opinion than actual fact, but I don't really have much of a problem drinking PBR or like the PBR brands, you know, there's lots and lots of beers that are owned by the, you know, the whatever PBR, or I think it is PBR is the parent company. Um, and they, uh, but they just buy beers that like don't exist anymore. And they'll re still just start brewing the yeah. brand again and bring it back. And they always brew like the weird, like local, the local trash crap, <laughs> like not craft beer, the local mass market beer. And so they've got like, so they own like Olympia they and they, they own Rainier. They own hams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They own all those like cute nostalgia, little beers. The nostalgia beers. Yeah, they're not good. Oh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they're all owned by PBR now, which I just, I honestly find it uh, to be charming. Like I, I like that. So I don't I have a problem. I wasn't drinking tall boy hams on the river a couple weeks ago. Plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> you said this is the first time you've done ever beer week. It's so the first annual Everett Beer Week. The first one ever. So how did this come about? Was it just you guys getting together and saying, hey, let's uh, make a beer week? So originally, um, the South Everett Breweries had talked about it. Um, if you know anything about brewing community, <laughs> we've all got a lot of stuff going on individually. So anytime somebody else wants to take charge and run an event, it is highly encouraged. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. The guys down at Toggle, uh, Danielle and Colin, Toggle's Bottle Shop, downtown Everett, they decided they wanted to take charge of this and actually do it. Okay. So, yeah, they've kind of headed this. Uh, they grabbed the website for us, and they've been kind of the liaisons with all of the events and stuff. Sweet. So it's been nice to have someone else, uh, yeah, take do charge. Do some of the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. Um, so to Toggle's Bottle Shop, you said yeah. downtown. Um, are they on, they're not on the agenda though for the, uh, the bike with the brewers. They uh, are not. No, yeah. we're just trying to hit up just the Everett breweries and not. What do you think about those breweries, um, at large and scuttlebutt? So like at large to me, I always thought that they were smaller than you guys. Uh, cause you can kind of, when you look in, you, you, you see their whole setup. They've got like a pretty big like warehouse situation, but they've got like three small fermenters or whatever. Not, not many fermenters, not a lot of stuff. And then you come in here, and you, always, you just sort of assume there's a back room that's full of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but really coming here to find it's very small. At large, that was a little bigger. Scuttlebutt is much larger. Yeah, they're the big and boys. It's almost, um, it's, it almost seems like crazy to me that they are um, 
like, you know, on the beer route and doing all this stuff. Cause they almost just seem like a Fremont, like, you know, they almost seem like an Allegiant scale brewery, you know, relative to you guys. Again, that's the great thing with this community is uh, we're all very collaborative. So yeah, we brewed our, what did we brew? Uh, Belgian Strong Ale for the Serial Killer series. Um, reached out to them, needed some Belgian yeast. Yeah, no problem. Come down, we'll give you a couple liters of yeast. So it's really nice, even that they're yeah, on a way larger scale. I think they were running a 60-barrel, 30-barrel brew house. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have that appreciation for all the different craft fantasies, which is very nice, especially mm-hmm. for yeah, just a small guy in the neighborhood. So... So yeah, they've also got, um, they just opened, just opened, probably over a year ago now, their tap room, mm. which is at their production facility. Just a really nice, cozy little space. They've got some fun one-off stuff that they pour there that's really intriguing to me because it's more on the unique side, less traditional stuff that you normally see in mm-hmm. the grocery stores of them. Um, and then Jim from At Large, We've actually got the same three-barrel brew house. He just has the three-barrel fermenters to go along with it. Mm-hmm. And kind of go back to what we were talking about planning. If you're opening a brewery, he planned it perfectly. So he's got all of everything set up in just a nice, clean way. Great space for cold storage. Just, yeah, as opposed to, to ours. is a little bit of a, a mismatch throw together. He definitely had a very concise plan. Um, a ton of IPAs, great, great hoppy beers. Um, we get a little bit of a feedback for not having a lot of IPAs on tap. Um, just not something that I'm typically uh, gravitate towards as a beer drinker mm-hmm. on a consistent basis. So yeah, if people come in looking for a lot of hoppy beer, I'll send them down to at large. Um, same thing with, with them. If they get people that want something a little off the wall, he sends them our way. Uh, yeah, all do we all do kind of unique stuff, so it's it's fun to to point people out, especially if they're new to the area. Um, let people know oh, we've got this brewery down the street as well, so it's still a very nice, cordial, collaborative environment. The Everett Craft Brewer Market for sure. All right, let's do a bonus round. Oh no! Let's see, just a couple of quick questions. <laughs> Am I getting am I getting scored on this? Is this a no? You won't get scored oh, on. Yeah. You do have that big buzzer uh, air horn thing you've got pointed at me. <laughs> I think I do have like a stupid like oh, DJ no. horn <laughs> app yeah. on my phone or something like that. Okay, how old are you? I am thirty nine years old. Do you have any kids? I do not. So I started this endeavor with a fiance. Uh, now it's just me and the dogs. Yikes. Okay, well, no need, no. <laughs> that's for another podcast. Yeah, no need to dive into that. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your favorite beer that you brew here? Oh, man. Uh, these are supposed to be quick answers. So, <laughs> brewing your, your beers on a consistent basis, you kind of get burnt out on your own beers. So, anything new that comes on tap, that's typically what I gravitate towards. Anything that's seasonal, um, yeah, that's what I... I go to, which is great for the Serial Killer series, so every month we're releasing a different beer, and that's typically what I'll, I'll hit up. What is your favorite beer that you have ever had? Perhaps oh, the beer that, like, turned you into the drinker you are. <laughs> we're going nostalgia. It's got to be the Scuttlebutt Amber. Um, 
Summertime, Love Me Some Hell or High Watermelon from 21st Amendments. Um, we're going dark. Beer that blew my mind a couple years ago was Campfire Stout from High Water Brewing. I'm typically a stout porter guy, so anything dark and creamy. I uh, love me some Mocha Death. Yeah, it's like trying to pick your favorite child. It's just such a hard question to answer. All the beer. <laughs> Is that the right answer? Whatever beer's in my hand at the time. That's a good answer. That's another. That's another classic. But I find that you know, like just like picking a child, it's hard to say. But you it's know, not really you hard know to know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Um, and last question is: When was the last time you cried? The last time I cried. Oh man. Uh, last time I cried was last August um, when we finished the expansion. I did the build out, most of it myself, and just to have that accomplished. Um, it was our fourth anniversary. It was just like, bam, it all hit me. Like, this year, this is the culmination of the whole year. And oh, I love it. I love it. Of course, I didn't do it in front of anybody. Yeah. But yeah, it happened. Did you go cry in the cold room? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's where everyone cries. <laughs> there you go. The cold room is for they, crying. they can shout and scream and nobody can hear you <laughs> cry. Let it all out. All right, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for chatting with thank me. It's been a pleasure. You, and I'm excited for Sunday. It'll be a fun, fun bike trip. Oh, I agree. All right, let's go get a beer. That was Jeff Middleton. Thanks a lot for listening. Make sure you join us Sunday, September 9th, after the Seahawks game at At Large Brewery in Everett. We're going on a long bike ride. We're hitting every brewery in town. This has been Washington Beer Talk.